Well, we had a milestone in our house this week. Our oldest child turned 16, and uh, it was kind of a big deal because, you know, that's the first person to turn 16 in our house. And I put a picture on social media, and I was amazed at the number of people who said things like, wait, what? Or how is this even possible? Or my favorite, I'm still closing my eyes. <laughs> Someone who had held our child as a little, little baby. And wouldn't it be great if that really worked? Like, if we could just close our eyes and meant if we didn't see it, then it wasn't really happening, whatever it was. Now, even though we know that if we don't see it, we don't have to believe it, even though we know that phrase doesn't really work after about five or six years old, somehow we still seem to let it creep into our lives each day. Consider the parent who can't or won't see that their, his or her little girl is growing up. Or the, the child who can't see that his friend is really a bully and a bad influence. Or maybe it's the teen who can't see or who has their eyes closed to the fact that their friend is making really harmful choices. Or the spouse who is closing their eyes to the problems in their marriage. Maybe it's the boss who can't see all the things that their employee is doing right. Or the guy who can't see that he's not as flexible or strong that he once was and still continues to play young guy sports. See, I think it happens in our relational life. It happens in our physical life. And I believe that it happens in our spiritual life. And as I look at this story, I've often wondered how these two disciples really didn't see that it was Jesus. And I've always kind of looked down on them. And then I remembered, well, in John 21, when Peter and his friend Thomas and Nathaniel and James and John and two other disciples, they go fishing. And in, early in the morning, the writer John tells us that Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus, John 21, 4. Now, I just assumed that it was too dark. You know, people go fishing, real true fishermen or fisherwomen, they go fishing early in the morning, so it must have been because it was dark. Or, you know, maybe they didn't have 20-20 vision. Maybe they were out far enough in the lake that that's why they didn't recognize Jesus. But then I remembered in John 20, where Mary Magdalene, she goes back to the tomb. She saw angels at the tomb. The writer Matthew tells us, that the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. So she has this encounter with the angel, runs back, tells the disciples, and, and then goes back. And John tells us in his account of this that Mary is there, she's weeping, and she turns around and she sees Jesus standing there, but she does not really see Jesus. She doesn't realize that it was Jesus. She thinks it's the gardener. So, okay, one time could just be coincidence. Two times, uh, three times. I think these examples are in the scriptures because I think it's all too obvious, all too often, all too easy for us to also not recognize that Jesus is alive and in the midst of us right now. Peter, Mary, Cleopas, and his friend. 
And it's a peculiar story that's at the end of Luke 24, where we're given one disciple's name but not the other. It just doesn't really seem to fit in with the rest of the story, unless Luke is this crafty, intelligent writer, and he's tying the end of the book to the beginning of the book. And at the very beginning of the book, he says, I'm writing to you, Theophilus, so that you can know with certainty about the things that have been said and done in Jesus and the hope that you can have. So maybe, just maybe, he's tying the end of the book to the beginning of the book, and this is actually pretty crafty. Because I think, again, we all have trouble seeing that Jesus is alive. So briefly, I see three things in this story, and as I reflected on it, three things in our actual lives every day right now that, that we do or that they did that actually make it harder for us to recognize Jesus. So consider if these are true in your life. The first is that you are so sad you can't see. Sounds simple, but you're so sad you can't see. Early in the story we see in Luke 24, 17, that he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood there, their faces looked sad, or their faces were downcast. Now, downcast is this word in the scriptures where you're looking at your own feet. It's first used with Cain, when Cain and Abel, um, have, uh, they bring their offerings to God. Abel brings his first and his best. Cain brings an offering. God accepts Abel's offering, but doesn't accept Cain's offering. And it says that Cain's eyes were downcast. Cain was so sad that all he could see was his own feet, his own situation. You ever been there? And God speaks to Cain, look around. Look inside, not just at your feet, but what you're feeling. Don't let this anger that is welling up inside you take control of you. Sin wants to have control over you, but you can overcome it. That's what God says to Cain in his love for Cain. And it doesn't turn out so well. And I don't want to, I'll use uh, my really deep theological training right now. I don't want to poo-poo your situation. Because I know some of you are in really hard, really sad situations. So I don't want to poo-poo that. But I know that if God can bring something good about having his first and best and one and only son executed that he can bring good out of your situation too. If you're so sad you can't see, I encourage you to just lift your eyes and look around. Look around at where Jesus is at work, because he is alive, but it's one of the ways that makes it harder for us to recognize. The second way I think it makes it harder for us to recognize is when we're worried about our own circle being saved, when you're worried about your circle being saved. And this, I see this in verse 21. When Jesus is asking them, they don't know it's Jesus, when the two disciples say, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. These Jewish people were saying, we want him to save or redeem our people. They forgot that Jesus came to save the whole world. That's why he did what he did. All people. See, more and more, I'm convinced that the reasons, that one of the reasons we don't see Jesus or recognize him alive and in our midst is because we can't imagine those people will ever say yes to God. 
Now, I don't know who those people are for you, but I know you have those people, because I have those people. So just consider for a minute who those people are. And remember that Jesus went to those people. Jesus taught those people. And Jesus fed those people. Jesus went out of his way to bring good news to those people. Some were rich, some were poor, some were religious, some weren't. Some were women, some were men. Jesus died for those people. And I'm so glad he did because I'm one of those people. Sometimes we can't see Jesus alive today because we make the circle too small. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the whole world, not just Israel. And the last reason that I think it's hard to see Jesus alive and living like he's alive today is because we need to see before we believe. See, the disciples went on to say, in verses 24 through 26. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Some women went to the tomb, but they didn't, they didn't put that part in because they couldn't trust the temp, uh, testimony of a woman. Uh, that's just fact of the culture of the day. But some companions, some men went, and they found it just like the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. And that's when he uses this beautiful phrase from the scriptures, uh, oh, foolish men, slow of heart to believe. And I think if Cleopas and uh, a woman would have been there, he still would have said, oh, foolish people, slow of heart to believe. All the prophets had spoken because we, we want evidence and we think evidence has to come through our sight. If I can't see it or touch it or explain it or prove it, then it, I can't believe it. And there are many people today who simply haven't taken the step of faith to trust Christ as Savior and Lord because they're not 100% sure that it's 100% true in the best way they can live. And since they're not 100% sure that it's 100% true, they hold back. And maybe because... If we're honest, we think living fully alive means that we can control our own fate. Or living fully alive means that we can do whatever we want. Or living fully alive means that we can see what's coming and prepare with all that we have for it. I wouldn't say that that's living fully alive. Consider the most powerful and the most wealthy people in the world who really could control many of their circumstances and yet can't. And if you study their lives, you'll see that rarely are they full of joy or are they full of wonder or are they full of gratitude. So these are just three ways that I see in this story that I also see in our lives that we can really miss seeing Jesus alive today. But if you, like me, are, have been or are stuck in one of these barriers, I just want to encourage you. 
If this has been hard for you or these, if, it's, if you just really need to physically see, Jesus meets them and before they can physically see them, he invites them to spiritually see them. Not by just trusting what they can see, but by trusting in what Jesus has done. Consider the fact that Jesus, it says, beginning with Moses and then all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. And rather than have me go through that whole story, I want you to experience it a little bit VBS style. So take a look. These two disciples recognized Jesus by what he said and what he did. It was his word and his witness. We can experience God alive today and live like Jesus is alive by doing the same thing, by experiencing his word and experiencing his witness. If we open our eyes to discover what the Bible says every day, we don't have to read a lot, but if we read a little over a long time, we will see it over and over and over. I mean, he is the Passover lamb of Exodus 12. When at the end of Deuteronomy, middle of Deuteronomy, he says, one day there will be a prophet like me, Deuteronomy 18. That's Jesus. He's the salvation of Numbers 21 when the uh, people of God were going through the wilderness and they disobeyed God, they doubted God, and he sent a plague and the people were healed by looking at this bronze serpent that he had Moses make, this symbol of salvation up on a hill. That's a picture of who Jesus is. He's with Joshua. Joshua means God is salvation. He's the one who will lead the people into the promised land. And he's, the, he's in the prophet Samuel, who anoints kings and learns to look at people like God does, looking at their heart, not just at their outward appearance. He's with David, the one who is king, the first king to bring peace to the people and peace to the land, the one who's called a man after God's own heart. He's in, uh, he's in Solomon, King David's son, so Solomon means peace, shalom or shalem, and so he's the first prince of peace, and Solomon is the one who builds a temple where God's spirit will dwell. But even as this grand temple is being unveiled and God's spirit comes in the midst, it's Solomon who prays, God, the God of the universe cannot be contained in temples people build. God lives in the hearts of those who seek him and receive him. Oh, he's alive. He's, He's through all the prophets, through all time. He's the author and finisher of our faith. And if he started something in you, he will Finish it if you keep looking and keep seeking. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to say, I'm open, God. I'm, I'm willing to look. Help me as I open your word to see with spiritual eyes. And help me to be and to see your witnesses, the people at, in, in the world that are at work, because God is still speaking, because Christ is still alive. And he's still calling people back into relationship with him because he loves them. So before I invite uh, Katie to come up and share how she saw God at work and Jesus alive in her mission trip that she was on, I just want to ask you to pause and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, where is Christ alive in my life? Where am I seeing and living like you're at work because you are? 
And where am I having trouble? Would you meet me, God, in your word and through your witness? So, Lord, we do pause as Katie comes up and shares where she saw you. We thank you that you meet people right where they're at, even as they're walking away from you, wondering if you're still alive, you still meet them in it. I pray, God, uh, after Katie speaks, as we move into this communion moment, that it would not just be a ritual of breaking bread, but it would be this sacred moment where we sense your presence, we know you're with us, and we know you love us. So God, continue at work in our lives and in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, people. So I'm Katie, for those of you who don't know me. And for those of you who do know me, I'm still Katie. It's kind of weird how that works. Um, So before I start, I was asked to share something real quick um, by my father. So if this isn't as funny as my dad hopes it will be, it's not my fault. Blame him. Um, So Christine had mentioned earlier that Matthew came and sang at VBS one of the days. One of the days. And... um, He sang safety dance for you 80s people. That's all I was supposed to share. (laughs) You're welcome. Okay. (laughs) So I went on a missions trip a few weeks ago, and I was asked to come up here and share a little bit. And this is mostly ad-libbed, so if I stutter a lot or repeat myself, I apologize. I really only started working on it this morning when I realized, oh, wait, that's today. Um, So I went with a different church to a Native American reservation in South Dakota called Rosebud. And we, um, the church that I went with, we ministered to a town called St. Francis. Um, And really, it's a third world country within our own country. There's a lot of houses that are closed up due to meth. And because of that, there are multiple families living in one house. One of the houses that we kind of went through had 30 people living in it. And it's not all that much bigger than the houses we have here. Um, And of course, they're not well kept either. There's oftentimes no doors or no glass for windows. Um, There's lots of alcoholism. So families don't oftentimes get to stay together. Um, And they don't have a whole lot of money either to buy the right kind of food. A lot of the kids that we see are very malnourished and very skinny just because they don't get the food they need. Um, So a daily schedule out there, we wake up in the morning um, at the dorms, which is a different place than St. Francis. Um, We have devotions, we have praise and worship, and then after that we just kind of have chill time, and then in the afternoon, that's when we go to St. Francis and minister and get to spend time with the kids. And then we get back and they tell us to go to sleep, but we're teenagers and, we d- and we're dumb, so we don't go to sleep um, until like 1 o'clock the next morning, which is really dumb. Um, so now kind of going to the story part, which is what I was meant to share. Um, so in the morning, as I mentioned, we have devotions. And on, so you get a piece of scripture, you read it, and then it has just some questions that you answer in a little booklet. And so one, the scripture on the first day was from John 1. 
And as part of like my biblical education growing up, you know, I memorized a lot of verses. So this was a section of scripture that I already had memorized, but something about it just really hit me that one day just because there's so much darkness and spiritual warfare out on the res and just something about it really resonated with me. It was John 1, 4 through 5. Life was in him and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. And just something about it just gave me joy and confidence, and I couldn't stop reading it just because I was so happy. And like, okay, I'm here, God. I'll be your light, but I don't know what you're going to do in me. But I'm here, and I'm your light, so use me. And I started, like, not, not consciously, but I just had it in the back of my head, and I was like, okay, okay, I'm just a light. I don't have control over this. I'm going to just live like God's got this. I have confidence this is hopefully going to work. Um, and so the next day, um, our group that went out there, we made these wordless book bracelets, which has, which has five beads on them. Uh, green, black, red, clear, and yellow. Sorry, I didn't remember the order. I'm wearing it as an anklet. Um, green is for creation, black is for sin, red is Jesus' blood, clear is us after resurrection, and yellow are the streets of gold that we get to walk on one day. And I started going through this bracelet with one of the girls out there named Misty. And I got to red, and I asked her if she had ever heard the story of Jesus. She said, no. And I asked her, you know, well, do you want to hear it? She goes, sure. Like, she kind of knew that I wanted to tell it, but she was like, well, I guess I can let her tell it. I don't really want to hear it, you know? And so I read it from my little kid's Bible that I had from when I was in preschool. And at the end, it had a series of questions. Um, it said, God is letting Jesus be punished instead of us. Now Jesus wants to be our Savior. Will you ask him now? And so I turned to her and I asked her, like, hey, have you ever asked, sorry, <laughs> have you ever asked Christ to be your Savior? She said, no. And I asked her if she wanted to. She said, yeah, but I don't know how. And so I said, that, that's okay. Um, how about you just repeat after me? And so I took her hands and I said, dear God, I love you. I love what your son Jesus did for me on the cross. Jesus, will you please be my savior? Amen. And I turned to her and I said, you know what? Jesus is saying right now, he's saying, yes, child, yes, I will absolutely be your savior. I've always wanted to be your savior. And right now I'm having a huge party for you up in heaven. She asked me why she's not having a party. And I started freaking out. I'm like, you, you don't have parties for these things. I didn't get a party. Why didn't I get a party? <laughs> and so I told her she could go grab an extra plate of food and I wouldn't tell anybody. That's the best I could do. We don't Anyway, um, and so really without that scripture in me and my confidence in God and knowing that I'm light and I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, and it's not me, it's God, really gave me the ability and the confidence to have that conversation with her.